Alrighty, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. And Shabbat Shalom to those who will hear this message with us today. Uh, the message I want to give today, it's a very special message. It's called A Message from Yeshua to You. A Message from Yeshua to You. And if we look in our Bible, one-third of the Bible is prophecy. And it's a pretty big Bible, so that's a lot of prophecy. And yet most of those prophecies, almost close to 80-90% of those prophecies, are for the end time. So, when we're looking at some of these things, and I'm going to be going over the messages in Revelation to the seven congregations in Revelation, Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. If you read my book, The Gates of Hell Will Not Prevail Against Her, we know that... uh, The seven congregations in Revelation are both historical. They're eras. They're seven eras. We're in the last era now, the Laodicean era. And it's also uh, seven end-time congregations. So there's seven particular end-time congregations beside being seven eras. But there's really also a third category that I'm going to go over today. Because there are also messages... To the congregation, their messages not only to the congregation itself, to each era, but its messages to us as individuals. And when we look at those seven messages that Yeshua has to those seven congregation, there's a message to each of us there. Because even though for the last 2,000 years, every era could have benefited from all seven of those messages, they were written, though, to us. We're living the book of Revelation. This is the end time. That book of Revelation is coming alive. It's written to us. The seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, uh, all the plagues that are coming, Yeshua returning to the earth, the millennium being set up. These are all things that are written to us, to the last generation right now. So I want you to take this message very personal, maybe even listen to it several times. Because if you're part of Yeshua's end-time congregation, then there's one of these messages is to you. And if you, if none of these messages are to you, then you can't be part of the congregation. Because the messages to the congregations are here. Every single believer in the last time there's a message to that are in the congregation today. So let's start uh, in Revelation 2. Let's start in Revelation 2. In verse 1, to the messenger of the congregation of Ephesus. Ephesus is the very first message. Right, these things says, he who holds all things and the seven stars in his right hand, he walking in the midst of the seven golden menorahs. We know they're representing the congregations. I know your works and your labor and your patience, and that you cannot bear evil ones, and you tried those pretending to be apostles and are not, and found them to be liars And you have patience and have borne burdens on account of my name and have not wearied. So we see that the Ephesus congregation, and like I said, I go over this in my book. This is the apostolic congregation. And when you're looking at the the eras, the seven eras, this is the very first congregation. They're the congregation that started, that Yeshua grounded. They're the congregation of the apostles. They're the congregation of miracles of faith. So this congregation is a very mature congregation. They're not people that are being swayed and and thrown by every wind of doctrine. They're people that have been in the faith. They're people that are grounded. They're people that have been around a long time. They're people that actually are grounded in truth and have a very, very steady faith. However, however, there is a problem to these people. And if we go down to verse 4 and 5, nevertheless... I have something against you because you lost your first love. Then remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works. And if not, I'm coming to you quickly and will remove your manure from its place unless you repent. So, wow, even though they're very steady people, they're very steady in doctrine, they're very steady in faith, they're very steady, they're very grounded. There's a pretty strong rebuke to the Ephesus message. And it's the message to the ones out there 
that have fallen into this category, that have lost their first love. They lost their first love. And think about it, because remember, we're the bride of Messiah. This is all about a marriage, a real marriage. You know, when Yeshua returns, there's going to be a wedding ceremony. And then he's coming for his bride, and his bride has made herself ready. And there's messages, you know, I'll give on this probably later in the year, because we're getting closer to that time. And if you think about it, when a man and a woman get together, and a man, a, a man falls in love with a woman, at that beginning, just like when we came to faith, he can't spend enough time with her. That's all he thinks about. It's what he's thinking about day and night. And it's the same thing when you come to faith. You're so excited. You're, you're so excited for the truth. And you're reading your Bible four and five hours a day. And you can't get enough of it. You can't pray enough. You can't, you're so excited. You can't sleep at night because of how excited you are for the truth. But just like the Ephesus congregation, the first congregation, who thought Yeshua was, was returning in their lifetime... When 10 years went by, 20 years went by, 30 years went by, and they realized Yeshua wasn't coming back, what happened? They lost their first love. They, they got burned out. They didn't have that same zeal that they had on the day that they were called. And this is, Yeshua actually says, you could lose your place in the kingdom because of that. Because think about it. If you can't hold that first love for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, how on earth can you hold it for eternity? If you're now like where when you first were called, you were so excited about it. And here it is a few years later that you're just another holy day, another Passover, another Sukkot. And you're not like excited out of your skin. You're not just so excited because, wow, this is another feast. And why would Yahweh give you eternity for that? You'll never be happy in eternity. And that's why to the message to the, 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 the Ephesus people, the message to the people that are losing their first love, it's real simple. You have to get back on track. And why did this happen? Uh, cares of the world, you know, things coming in, uh, people not, not enduring till the end. You know, thinking things were going to happen, you know, face it, in the end time generation, if there is one thing that many leaders in the congregation have done wrong, is for almost a hundred years now, we've been hearing that the end is very close, it's only a couple of years, it might be tomorrow. Some people even setting dates, you know, the Church of God, 1975, Yeshua was going to return. And although we are close to the end, we don't know what that means. And most of those people who thought we were close to the end, died. So as far as they're concerned, the kingdom did come. Because whether they died in 1940 or they died in 1960 or they died in 1985, in the split second, they're resurrected and they're in the kingdom. So the kingdom is short to all of us because today could be our last day on earth. But you have to retain that first love. Let's go to Hebrews 10 in verse 32. <coughs> Hebrews 10 in verse 32. He says, therefore, remember the former days, those in which after you received baptism, you endured much tribulation, right? Some of us, when you first called and some of you lost your job, some of you even lost family members, you were persecuting. You were so happy that you were allowed to be persecuted for something of righteousness and you were zealous about it. And then all of a sudden, a few years down the line, the tiniest little thing that comes up, you look at more of a burden than you're looking at as a form of righteousness. Remember the former days, those in which you received baptism, you endured much tribulation. Indeed, being exposed both to trouble and reproach, you became an object of ridicule, right? In the beginning, when people would argue with you and fight with you, maybe even family members, and say you're wrong, how you would stand up with zeal and say, no, look in the Bible. And then a few years down the line, you're, you're, you're offended, you're offended if the elder says something. You're offended if, uh, if somebody outside uh, says something about your faith. Something has changed. You lost your first love. And you have become companions of those men who have endured these things. For also you had pity on those in prison. And you accepted the seizure of your possessions with joy. Knowing yourselves to have a better and abiding possession in heaven. Right? Some people in the beginning, when they first come to faith, they're willing to sacrifice everything. They're willing to put all their, their possessions for the kingdom because time is short. 
And then all of a sudden, 10 years, 15 years, maybe 20 years goes by and the kingdom doesn't come. And now you're starting to think again about mammon, possessions, holding on to things. Verse 34, for also you had pity on those in prison. You accepted the seizure of your possessions with joy, knowing yourself to have a better and abiding possession in heaven. Then do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of patience, that having done the will of Elohim, you may obtain the promise. For the time is very short, and he who will come, will come, and will not delay. But the righteous shall live by faith, yet if he draws back, my soul is not pleased with him. But we do not belong to those drawing back, which leads to perdition, but to the faith which restores our soul. And I'll tell you something. I've been in the faith, I told you, more than 34 years now. And prophecy was never the thing that drew me to the truth. For a lot of people, it's prophecy. For me, it was the realization that Yahweh's real, that he's really there, and I could talk to him, he'll listen to me, he'll answer my prayers. And my whole focus from the beginning was changing me, understanding my, my fallen human nature, understanding that if I want to be close to Yahweh, if I want a relationship with him, I have to change my human nature to become more like him. And as I've done that through the years, and you get the mind of Messiah, that's what gives you the peace of mind that surpasses all understanding. Not to say I don't like prophecy. Not to say I'm not excited about prophecy. But prophecy isn't the thing that drew me. And that's why, as years went by and years went by, and the prophecies didn't come about, it never shook my faith, not an inch. Because I know in the scheme of things, to Yahweh, a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. So when we say we have a short time left, if that's a hundred years, that's nothing. The point is, like it says here, the day will come where he who is coming will not delay. That day goes into day, and day goes into day, and here it is now, almost 30, more than 34 years from the time I started believing this way have passed like that. And if it takes another 10 years or 20 years or whatever it takes, it also will go by like, like the blink of an eye. But when you, the kingdom of Yahweh comes, when Yeshua's feet stand on that Mount of Olives, it'll be forever. So, if my master delays is coming a bit, it doesn't shake my faith whatsoever. What it does is, I'm thankful for that, that I have that much more time to prepare. Because what good is it if he came 10 years ago and I wasn't ready, and I was going to go to Lake of Fire? What good would that be? So, we, we, we have to make sure that we're not falling from that. And Revelation 2, back to Revelation 2, 6 and 7 he says, but you have this, talking again still to Ephesus, that you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Nicolaitans, Nico is conqueror, Nicolation is people. Nicolation is conqueror, the people there. It's a hierarchical organization like the Catholic Church or the Protestant Church that uh, controls the people, that browbeats the people, and these people hate that. The Ephesus congregation hates it. The one who has an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the congregations, to the one overcoming. Uh, I think I'll stop right there. We'll stop right there. We'll read later. But you have this. Okay. So that's basically the message to Ephesus. If it's the message that was to you, then really ponder it, think about it, and think. We'll get into it a little later. What do you need to do to change this? But like I said, if by the end of this message today, you are not convicted in your mind that one of these messages coming directly from Yeshua, not me. I'm only the messenger, right? He is, he's the one who's giving the message. But if at the end of this sermon, you don't see a message for you, then you're in trouble, as we'll see. Because there's a message here for every believer today. Revelation 2, verse 8 through 11. The next message is to Shmer, the Smyrna. And to the messenger of the congregation of Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who became dead and is alive. I know your works and the affliction and the poverty. That you are rich though. See, they're, they're, they're poor in worldly things, but they're rich in spiritual things. And I know the evil speaking of those saying themselves to be Jews, and they're not, but they are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not at all fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw you into prison so that you may be tried and you will have affliction ten days or it could be ten times depending on how that word is used. But ten, there will be ten periods of affliction. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. The one who has an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the congregations. So here we have, this is 
the message to Smyrna, the, the persecuted the congregation. And here we are today. You know, if I gave this message five years ago, uh, and I've been teaching at the Bible school for more than 13 years, and we talked, I've had a class from the very first year called the Underground Congregation, and we talk about the persecuted congregation. But to most of the people at that school who come to that school, they've never been part of the persecuted congregation. We've had have had a few through the years who have been. Brethren coming uh, from South Sudan and some of these places that are already part of the, the underground congregation. But most of the people in the underground congregation could never come to Israel. They wouldn't allow them there. You know, they wouldn't be uh, able to get there for it. But the, the, the persecuted congregation is certainly there today. When we look today, when we look at what ISIS is doing, chopping off heads of people and even children, and just recently even in Egypt last month, you know, that the, uh, the Christians there were persecuted. And every nine minutes on average, every nine minutes on average, a Christian or a believer is killed somewhere in the world. So now, again, I'm not saying every one of these people know all the truth how we do, but most of them have never heard all the truth as we know it, which should make us appreciate what we have even more. But I can tell you this much, that in Iraq, we're in Iraq not that long ago, very, very short time ago, where there was more than a million believers in Iraq that go back to the second century or longer, one of the oldest congregations in the world, and they speak Aramaic. They use the name Yeshua. And today, there's none. There's none that are there. They've either been killed or displaced or moved out. Uh, we've had the blessing of helping some of the refugees that have gone to Jordan, some of the ones in Iraq we were helping. We were working with some of the different congregations there. And this is, this is Smyrna. But this is only the beginning. What we're seeing now is only the beginning. And some people will be blessed. You will have the opportunity and the blessing to be able to give your life for Yeshua as a martyr. And there is no greater blessing in life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. Yeshua gave his life for us. And can you imagine the honor that a, uh, someone from Smyrna has that they can literally give their physical life for him in martyrism. 1 Peter 2 and verse 19. 1 Peter 2 and verse 19. He says, For this is favor before Elohim, if because of conscience anyone bears grief, suffering unjustly. For what glory is it if you patiently endure suffering because of your sinning? But if you are suffering while doing good and patiently endure, then your glory is greater from Elohim. For you were called to this, for even Messiah suffered on our behalf, leaving behind an example for us that you should follow his steps. Who did not sin, nor was guile found in his mouth. Who having been reviled, did not revile in return. Suffering he did not threaten. But he gave himself up for him who was judging righteously. Who himself carried up his body or sins onto the tree. That dying to sins we might live to righteousness. Of whom by his wounds you were healed. For you were as sheep going astray. But now you turn back to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. What a great encouraging scripture. So we see it here, right? If you're being persecuted, if you're suffering now, if you're having money problems because you're stealing from Yahweh and you're not tithing, or you're having other problems, uh, financial problems because you're not living by the financial laws of the Bible, you have no one to blame but yourself. You're just reaping what you sow. But if you're living in righteousness and you're persecuted before it, and I told you when I gave that message on the uh, coming sign this September 23rd, the sign of revelation, what it means. But the persecution is coming. It's already there. It already started. But starting very, very soon, probably is, is, is you know, not that far uh, after the, this feast, we are going to start seeing more persecution coming on believers. And it's going to come all over the world. You know, it says in the end time, all will be persecuted because of my namesake. Matthew 5. Matthew 5 and verse 10 says, Blessed are they who have been persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they shall curse you and persecute you and shall say every evil word against you lying on my account. Rejoice and leap for joy, for your reward is great in heaven. For in this way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Wow. How great, right? So here we see that, uh, yes, 
There is a persecution coming, but it's a blessing. It's a blessing for the people who are honored to suffer in the same manner that Yeshua suffered. And their reward is great in the kingdom. You know, the, the scripture tells us, Yeshua tells us, we should be dying to the flesh every day of our life. So, you know, these are people that physically give their life, like the martyr Stephen in the Bible. And that we can read about his story, and we can look at that story, and we can be encouraged by it, by his zeal, and by how he never gave up faith. But, you know, every one of us should be living martyrs. Every one of us, like it says uh, in Revelation 12, should be living sacrifices. Every one of us should be dying to ourselves and to the flesh every single day and be a living sacrifice. But here we have a group that some of them will physically give their life for Yeshua and they will have a great reward for eternity. Next message. Third message is to Pergamos, the message to Pergamos, and it's Revelation 2 starting in verse 12. Revelation 2 starting in verse 12. And to the messenger of the congregation of Pergamos, right? These things says the one having the sharp two-edged sword. So here at Pergamos, what does it mean that there's a sharp two-edged sword? It means there's something that they're really doing good, but wow, there's something that is really, really bad on the other side. I know your works and where you dwell, where the throne of Satan is. Wow, how can these be people that uh, believe is in Yeshua and they dwell where the seat of Satan is? And you uphold my name and did not deny my faith even in those days when the witness of mine appeared, my faithful witness who was slain among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, that you have there those holding the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to throw a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat idol sacrifices, and to commit fornication. So you also have those holding the teachings of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. So these are people coming from hierarchical structure, from organized religion, so to speak. Repent, but if not, I will come to you quickly and I will make war with them by the sword of my mouth. So uh, there's a very strong rebuke here that Yahweh has. And if you read my book, and again, if you don't have the book, The Gates of Hell Shall Not Prevail Against Her, please go online. You can download the book for free. Write us. We'll send you a free copy of the book, a gift copy. We have plenty of copies, and it's a great book. It really is a great book because it's all about not only our history, but it's a book about what's happening now in the end time. So it's a great book. And in the book I go into that, who are these people? These are people that were once part of the true remnant of Yahweh. We know that the, what the seven congregations in Revelation show us is there has been an unbroken line of succession of the congregations from the apostles all the way till today. My book proves that without a shadow of a doubt. From 30 AD, when Yeshua had laid hands on the 12 apostles who laid hands on others, who laid hands on others, and that succession has never stopped until today. And I had laid, hands laid on me by elders that were in the same line. But these are people that were part of that that have left. They left the true faith because of compromise. And, you know, you look at some of the organizations, Seventh-day Baptists and some of them. Even today, just the regular Baptists come from the Seventh-day Baptists. And these people that... Uh, are compromising with the truth. So some of them, and a lot of them, you can even equate it today when we're looking at messages directly to somebody. You can equate this to a big part of evangelical Christians. You know, you meet, and we've met many, 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 hundreds if not thousands over the years in Israel. Some of them were the nicest, kindest people you'll ever meet. There were a few that even helped us with our own living situation when we were having a very, very hard time in the beginning when we first were living in Israel and didn't have uh, financial means. They're kind, they're loving, they pray, they'll give you the shirt off their back. But there's a problem. They're sitting where the throne of Satan is. They're sitting where? They're sitting in, 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 in pagan churches. You know, Catholicism. Look at Catholicism. Uh, the paganism, the uh, the statues in the churches, all the paganism that comes from there. So these are people that basically are compromising with the truth. And believe it or not, you might just think it might be Christians or some of the other people, but you would be surprised how many people today in the Messianic movement, and some of them even in sacred name congregations that are still celebrating Christmas with their family, that are still celebrating Easter and 
other of these pagan things. And some of them we met even that still even go to Sunday church even when they know the Sabbath. And what excuse do they make? Oh, I want to uh, witness to them or my children need fellowship, whatever it is. And this is what Yahweh saying. You're going to Baal worship. You're going to the seat of Satan. And what, why does he talk about Balaam? Because in the congregation, in Yeshua's congregation that he set apart, this unbroken line of succession, you're sanctified. You know, you're sanctified in the camp of Yahweh. You're not sanctified when you leave the camp. When you go out on your own, when you break off, or when you're in, even worse, one of these pagan congregations, you're not sanctified. So you're, you're losing the sanctification, and that's what Balaam, Balaam knew that he could not curse what Yahweh blessed. So what did he do? He got the Moabite women to come there to, to entice the Israelites so that by their human nature they would sin. And it's the same way that these, these Nicolaitan congregations do today. You know, they, they tell the people about the false grace. They tell them that, that, you know, obedience to the Torah is legalism. And they're really taking these people's salvation away by keeping them in this defiled state. So what does Yahweh say about it? Let's read Deuteronomy 12 and verse 28. Deuteronomy 12 and verse 28. Take heed to listen to all these words which I am commanding you in order that you may be well with you and with your sons after you when you do that which is good and right in the eyes of Yahweh your Elohim. When Yahweh your Elohim shall cut off the nations from before you where you are going to possess them and you shall possess them and shall live in their land. Take heed to yourself that you not be snared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you. And that you not inquire after their God, saying, How did these nations serve their Elohim? I will do, even I. You shall not do so to Yahweh your Elohim. For everything hateful to Yahweh, which he detests, they have done to their gods. For they have even burned their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. All the things which I command you, you shall take he to do them, and you shall not add to it or take away. So he always says you can't take the paganism from these false churches and worship him this way. You can't do it. And like I said, some of them have even been baptized and they continue to do this. And this is the message for you. That Yeshua is saying, enough is enough. You know, there's a time where he gives us time to repent, and then you get cut off. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 19, we see the same. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 19 he says, what then do I say, that an idol is anything? Or that an idolatrous sacrifice is anything? No. But the things the pagans sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to Yahweh. But I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of our master in a cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of our master in a table of demons. He's talking about, you can't celebrate Easter and partake in the Passover. You can't celebrate Christmas and partake in the Passover. You can't do it. Yahweh will not accept it. He will not accept that kind of hypocrisy and that kind of double-mindedness. Or do we provoke our master to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And some of the people, I don't know what you think you're getting away with. You know, they do it secretly. Some people even working on Sabbath. You know, that uh, they, they say they're Sabbath keepers and then they come and they'll work on Sabbath. Literally go to a job on Sabbath. And it's more common than you think. In a lot of avenues, but it's it's a compromising way. Uh, but this is what we're talking about here when we're talking about the Pergamos, Pergamos, where Satan dwells. People being part of these pagan congregations and mixing the truth with paganism. The next one, Revelation two and verse eighteen to Thyatira, Thyatira. And to the messenger of the congregation in Thyatira write, These things says the son of Elohim, the one having his eyes as a flame of fire, and his feet as burnished brush. I know your works, and the love, and your service, and the faith, and your patience, and your works, and the last being more than the first. But I have a few things against you, that you allow the woman Jezebel to teach. She sang herself to be a prophetess, and to cause my servants to go astray, and to commit fornication, and to eat idle sacrifices. And I gave time to her that she might repent of her fornication and did not repent. Behold, I cast her into a coffin and those committing adultery with her into great affliction unless they repent of their works. And I will kill her children with death and all the congregation will know that I am the one searching the inner parts and the heart. 
and I will give to each of you according to your works. But I say to you and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this teaching, and who do not know the deep things of Satan, as they say, I am not casting another burden on you, but what you have, hold until I come. Now, in my book, I clearly go into, this is one of the easiest congregations to define as far as end-time congregation, without a doubt, the Seventh-day Adventists. Seventh-day Adventists who were part of the true congregation until they broke off back in 1860. And why did they break off? Because the false prophetess Ellen White made her dreams a litmus test for believers. That either they had to believe that her... Uh, dreams were from Yahweh or they weren't allowed to be baptized, weren't allowed to be part of the congregation. So clearly this is talking about the Seventh-day Adventist church because he says he knows their works and all the good things. Look at this. And your love and your service and your faith and your patience and your works, the last being more than the first because when they first started Seventh-day Adventists, they were very small. Today, there's four million Seventh-day Adventists. They have hospitals, schools. They do so much good work around the world, just like it says here. But he says, I have something against you. That they're following, they're using Ellen White's teaching as, as, as almost as important as the Bible. And Yahweh says, it's wrong. So, beside literally being the Seventh-day Adventist, though, I think there's a bigger message here. The message of Jezebel, because he equates Jezebel with this false teacher, who I believe is Ellen White. But also, you know, we're living in a time where it's normal out there for women to be teachers. And I'm not just talking about just in the Christian churches. I'm talking about in the Messianic movement and even some sacred name groups that accept women elders and women teachers. It's shocking. Matter of fact, uh, somebody I met recently who said they belong to the congregation of Yahweh, same name as us, in England, in Great Britain. And I said, oh, I said, yeah, I know about that congregation. Uh, I said, do you know that they ordained women? And the man said, oh, yeah, I know it. <laughs> and it didn't bother him whatsoever that women were ordained in that congregation of Yahweh. It has nothing to do with our congregation of Yahweh. But, I mean, the Bible is very clear on the subject. First Timothy 2 and verse 8. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 8. He says, Therefore I desire the men to pray in every place, lifting up holy hands without anger and doubting thoughts. Why would it the men be leading the prayers? That's why we lift our hands, because we're receiving from Yahweh. But why would the men be leading the prayers? Because if you have a congregation... The person who's leading the prayer, it's a position of authority. He's praying on behalf of everyone there. And every person is saying the Amen. So a woman would never lead a prayer at the beginning of a service or the end of a service because they would be taking a position of authority. And here would he, listen what Paul says about that. He talks about the woman uh, adorning himself in proper clothing with modesty and sensibleness, not with plating or gold or pearls, expensive garments. But what becomes women professing fear of Elohim through good works? Let a woman learn in silence in all subjection. And I do not allow a woman to debate publicly or to usurp the authority of a man, but to be in silence. And some have said to me, well, I'm not usurping authority. You know, the pastor here is allowing me to teach. That pastor does not have the authority. That's like a pastor giving you the authority to break the Sabbath or steal. pastor doesn't have that authority. Same way as a judge does not have the authority to change the law. The judge has the authority to interpret the law and make a judgment. So here we have it where uh, this is exactly what's happening here. You know, he's saying the women are not to be in a position of authority. I do not allow a woman to publicly debate or usurp the authority of a man to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived has come to be in transgression. Yet she shall live by means of her children if they continue in faith and love and holiness and chastity. And here it is, this Jezebel spirit. And I've seen it in Israel over and over the years. You meet these ladies that are there. They're either divorced or they have a husband back in, most of it is in Babylon in USA. Some of it's Europe and other places. But they left it, some of them with small children. 
and they're not taking care of their family. They're not taking care of their, their husband or their children. And yet they're coming to Israel claiming they're some kind of prophetess. And Yahweh told them to go and touch this wall in the north. And oh, I have to go right away. I only got an hour. I got to get to Haifa because I have to touch, touch this wall in Haifa. Or I need to pray in this certain place. I got to go down and pray in this certain place. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. It's a Jezebel spirit. But like I always say, where there's a Jezebel, there's an Ahab. Because if the husband was keeping his Elohim-ordained role, then the woman wouldn't be doing this. But it is a big problem. And like I said, I've even seen it in, in sacred name groups and even at times in our own congregations where some women just have that tendency. And even though they say, I understand you're shorter, I know I'm not a teacher, they're always pushing the envelope. One way or another, you know, and... Starting ministries. They want to start a ministry that has something to do with teaching or something to do with them. And it's like, you know, what is pure religion? If you really want pure religion, if you want to start a ministry, let me show you what ministry you should start. I'm going to give everyone a great ministry right now. Jacob 1 and verse 27. Pure and holy service before Yahweh the Father is this. You can't get a greater ministry than what I'm going to tell you because it's pure and holy right before Yahweh. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That is the ministry, if you want to do it. Not making, uh, you know, teaching manuals, or not uh, wanting to, well, I'm only teaching women. No. The men are the teachers. The men are the teachers. You know who you should be teaching? You should be teaching your children, and you should be teaching, you know, uh, being submissive with your husband, and working in ministry with your husband. That's the way it should be. But very, very clearly here, the woman should not be usurping the authority of a man. And how do you usurp the authority of a man? By taking the position that was given to a man. And the man was given the positions of leadership. The women were given the positions of the helpmate. Right? It's, 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 it's that simple. The men are the visionaries. The, the women are the detail. And that's what Yahweh says. So I know that this particular message here to Thyatira... Uh, although on the surface, and if you read my book and you say, well, I'm not a Seventh-day Adventist, that doesn't apply to me. This could apply to more of you ladies than you think. It very well could be if you're not in judicial order. 1 Corinthians 14. Because to me, you know what? Know something? I'm not a, a woman. So, you know, I can't say how I would feel if I was a woman because I'm not a woman. But I can tell you one thing, even as a man, that it scares me to death to think to do something that would be against Yahweh. And I take my position as an elder extremely serious. Extremely. Because I know the people that I'm serving are Yahweh's own children. They're the children of the king. And I would never want to abuse. I would never, I'm only there to serve and to help. So I would never ever in my life even think about doing something that scripture told me I have no authority to do. I wouldn't be trying to get around it. I wouldn't be trying to see how can I teach but not technically go against the commandment. Like I said, pure and undefiled before Yahweh is this. Go to hospitals. Help the widows. Help the, the orphans. That's pure religion before Yahweh. Start helping. There's people, like I said, we have people all over the world now. Refugees in, from Iraq, from Syria, from Egypt, all over the place that need our help, that need our prayers. You know, not the teaching is something that's left to the men. It's that simple. First Corinthians 14 and verse 34. Let your woman keep silent in the congregations, for they have no permission to teach, but to be in subjection, as also the Torah says. But if they desire to learn anything, let them question their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to talk in the congregation or teach in the congregation. Or did the word of Elohim go out from you, or did it not reach you? If anyone thinks to be a prophet or prophetess, or a spiritual one, let them recognize the things I write to you, they are a commandment of our master. But if you want to be ignorant, let them be ignorant. Verse 40, let all things be done decently and with proper order. It's that simple. It's that simple. You know, this is what Yahweh, this is what we need to learn. Because in the kingdom, wherever our position is going to be, and I'll tell you, there are many, many wonderful, beautiful sisters in the congregation that know this. And that in the kingdom, they will be much higher than many men because they learned it. And like I said, 
The only position I want is the position that Yahweh wants me to be in. I don't want to be any higher, but I don't want to be any lower. I want to be right there where I can serve the best amount of people possible. Because it's not about me, it's about service to Yahweh and His people. Revelation 3. three. Let's go to the next congregation, which is Sardis. Sardis. Revelation 3. Starting in verse 1. And to the messenger of the congregation Sardis write, These things says the one having the seven spirits of Elohim and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have the name, that you live and are dead be watching and establish the things which remain, which are about to die. For I have not found your works being fulfilled before Elohim. Then remember how you received and heard and keep and repent. If then you do not watch, I will come upon you like a thief, and you will not at all know what hour I come upon you. You also have a few names in Sardis which did not defile their robes, and they shall walk with me in white because they're worthy. And in my book I go into this another very clear congregation which I believe is Church of God, because if you go back and you look, starting in the 1940s and 50s, all the way up until the 1990s, our whole uh, last generation, the largest, most productive, true congregation that Yahweh had was the Church of God. It was. There's no doubt about it. There was more than 100,000 members. They were the fourth largest income-producing church. They had millions upon millions of magazines going worldwide. They had congregations all over the world. But the structure there, the structure was a structure that was hierarchical. It was a Nicolaitan-type structure, and Yahweh destroyed it. But here it is. Many of these people, the Sardis people that come from there, because there's more than 1,000 organizations that broke off from Church of God. And none of them ever prospered. None of them. Why? Because none of them moved ahead in growing in the grace and knowledge of our Master Yeshua and Messiah. They were all just trying to hold on to create with Herbert Armstrong had in the 1960s and 70s. So today though, not only Church of God, but the Sardis spirit, it's a spirit in general. And it overlaps with the Laodicean, which are, you know, is coming next. But it's a spirit where... You have these small home groups, or you have these small congregations of it could be anything from 5 to 10 to even sometimes 30 or 40 people, or even a little bit more. But it's where they're forgetting how they came to the truth. Remember, there's a 2,000-year unbroken line of succession, not just in elderhood, but in doctrine. So the doctrine that we have today you know, and recently we had one of the uh, Sacred Name Assemblies uh, uh, last year after Sukkot that came out and they were doing a, a tour with me in Israel. Really, really nice uh, men and leaders. And I didn't know these people. I never really knew them before. I met them once at a conference, but there's no connection with us, no history, except we all come from that, that true line. And I was amazed to find out how much we had in common in certain things. You know, because if you look, how many churches in the world say that the dead are asleep? How many churches in the world say that there's no eternal hellfire? How many churches in the world say that Yahweh is not a trinity? I mean, these, to, to, but to, to the true congregation for the last 2,000 years, these are basic beliefs. I didn't come up with any of those things. Those were things that Yeshua gave to the apostles, and it's come down through the ages. But the Sardis congregation... That is, went off on their own without headship. They've lost these things. They're a spiritually dead congregation, which meaningly, because they're not connected to the body anymore, they're really not doing any kind of work. They, they still believe in the basics, maybe of the Sabbath and the holy days. But some of them have even gotten into the lunar Sabbath. Because without headship, you will eventually fall into disarray. It's that simple. I'm telling you, I've seen it. I've seen it when Church of God broke apart. I, I was for years in different home groups. And the bottom line is, without headship, without some kind of leadership, and primarily, you know, elders, you, you'll never survive. Because everybody has different opinions, but, but Yahweh has given the, the teaching and the knowledge to elders in a way he hasn't given it to other people. 
And that's why these groups peter off, peter off, and peter off, and none of them grow. And that's why Yeshua is saying now, because can you imagine? Church of God broke off more than 30 years ago. This happened when uh, Herbert Armstrong died. And still today, 30 years later, you have people that are still just straggling around there. What is he saying? Go back. Go back to your roots. Remember Isaiah 54. Go back to the rock you've been cut out of. Right? You can't just stay there in this spiritually dead state and think you're going to make it because you're bearing no fruit. So some of them are there because they had no other means. You know, the, the, the congregation they were in went off. They went on their own. That's what happened to us back in, in the uh, early 1990s. And we were just trying to survive. But we eventually found our way back to the trunk of the tree. We found our way back to the body of Messiah. We found our way back to, you know, being a part of that congregational tree that Yeshua made and not just being on our own. So this is the Sardis congregation. And like I said, just people that the main message here is to go back to what you have. Like he says here. Uh, I have not found your works fulfilled. Remember, verse 3, then remember how you received and heard and keep and repent. If then, if you do not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I'm coming. Like I said, but there's a few in Sardis who kept their ropes white. That they're, 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 They were there because they didn't know any better. But now, now there are alternatives. Now there are true congregations. We have congregations all over the world that people can, can come to and be part of the true body of Messiah. Now the next congregation is Philadelphia. I'm not going to read Philadelphia. Why? Because Philadelphia is the congregation of the ones who do repent and overcome and come out of those other congregations to be part of the Philadelphian congregation. So I want to do this a whole sermon just on Philadelphia. And that's what we'll do the next time because this is what we all should be striving for. The first thing I have to do is go over these congregations now. What are the problems? What is the message? Can you imagine, like I said, something that was written 2,000 years ago for our time and Yeshua has a direct message for you. Sometimes people say to me, Don, you know, you gave that message. I felt like you were talking right to me. And now I am. I see you. I'm talking to you. One of these messages for you. But after we find out what the message is and we find out how to change it, then we're going to get into Philadelphian. How do we become a Philadelphian? And I know many of us in Congregation of Yahweh Jerusalem are well on that road. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. And we're going to a very, very important phase coming after Sukkot this year. The phase of purification. But we have to recognize now what the problems are. If you don't recognize your problem, you'll never overcome it. So the last congregation we're going to talk about today is Laodicean. Now remember what I told you. And please, if you never read my book, please read the book. You'll benefit from it greatly. The gates of hell will not prevail against her. That these seven congregations, their eras, their church eras, and they're also literal congregations in the end time. But we are living now in the last era. So we're living in the Laodicean era, which means that not only is it the last congregation, the Laodicean era, but most people are Laodiceans then. So I'm giving all these different messages. And you're, you might not be a Laodicean. You might have needed the message to Ephesus or the message to Pergamos or the message to Sardis. But the majority of believers today are Laodiceans. So that's why this is the message that the majority of the people need to hear and understand. Starting in verse 14. To the messenger of the congregation of Laodicean write, These things say the Amen... <clears throat> the faithful and true witness, the head of the creation of Elohim. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold nor hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. And like I said, hot water is great when it's the winter and you want a nice hot shower. Cold water is great when it's sweating in the summer and you just want a nice cold glass of water. Warm water is good for nothing except inducing vomiting. And that's what Yahweh is saying to these people. You're not hot and you're not cold. You're, you, you know, you're not useful for anything. You're basically lukewarm. You take no stand. And I remember years ago at one of the first uh, uh, schools that we did in Israel, and there was an elder there from the Philippines, and we were talking about 
uh, not taking a stand, and he said, neutrality is of the devil. And I never forgot that, and I agree with it 100%. Neutrality is of the devil. There's never a time to be neutral. No, we need to be black or white. It's one or the other. Neutrality is of the devil. But these people here are lukewarm. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, verse 16, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich, and I'm made rich, and I have need of nothing. And do you not know you're miserable, and a wanderer, and poor, and blind, and naked? Why are they naked? Because these are people that have no covering. Remember, Laodicean. Remember, Nicolation was the Nico conqueror of the people. The Nicolation spirit is the spirit of Catholicism. It's the spirit of, of, of the, the, the hierarchical church, where you're going to do this, you're not going to do that, you're not allowed to read your Bible. But we also have now the Laodicean spirit ruled by the people that says, no man is ever going to be over me. I'll never follow a man. I'm not going to be part of this. And that's even worse than the Nicolaitan spirit. Because you want to know something? As bad as the Nicolaitan spirit is to the people that are running it, like say North Korea, right? Terrible spirit there, Nicolaitan spirit. The people that are under the Nicolaitan spirit, though, usually are very, very strong believers. Because they're persecuted. It's a persecuted way. Now it's not the leadership persecuting the believers. It's the believers that are coming out and saying, you know, that they won't be under anybody. It's, it's, the, it's the whole spirit that came against Moses, you know, in the wilderness. It's a very, very evil spirit. And that's why, because it's so filled with pride, they're blinded. They're blinded. So look what he says. I advise you to buy from me gold, having been fired by fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, and your shame and your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye slab that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Be zealous then and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will enter to him and I will dine with him and he with me. And I've seen it because many of the Laodiceans are in Western society, many of them in Babylon. And I've seen it because they think they're rich and increased with goods in need of nothing, right? They don't need anything from anybody. They have everything. And I've seen that they use their money as a tool. Some of these people are very wealthy. They're making good money. They don't tithe because they feel like they can tithe to themselves. And they use their own tithe money to manipulate people, to buy off people, and to build their own little kingdom there. And they are so blinded. There's no fruit in it. It's only splintering, splintering, splintering. It's a really, really evil thing. And Yahweh doesn't accept it. This is the worst congregation to be in. It's the worst one. Why? Because it's the only congregation that people can't see what they're doing wrong. And that's why, if up to now, I've given these seven congregations, right? And you say, well, you know what? I've listened to it, but none of them apply to me. Then almost assuredly, you're a Laodicean. Almost assuredly. Uh, 1 John 2, verse 15. Because like I said, the Laodicean, he doesn't need anything. Why do I need to be part of a fellowship? I'm rich. I have everything I need. It's only between me and Yeshua. Well, you want to know something? What a selfish thing to say. Because we all know when the kingdom comes, there's not going to be three people in the kingdom. There's not going to be Yahweh the Father, Yeshua the Son, and you. That's the kingdom. And you know what? You'll let other people in under you so you have somebody who, who can, you can rule over and somebody who can you know take care of you. No, it's not the way the kingdom works. The kingdom is going to be made up of millions and millions of people that are all going to be working together in unity. And Yahweh, the name Yahweh, is a family. And that means as a family, we work together. Yes, there's a father in the family that has authority. Yes, there's a mother in the family that has authority and nurtures. And yes, there's older brothers and sisters, each with their own authority. We know that even by the, the firstborn, right? Even when Joseph met his brothers, remember? In Egypt. And he revealed himself that he, I'm Joseph, your brother. What did they do? They sat according from the firstborn and the, the, the right of the firstborn all the way to the youngest. So there's always judicial order. But these people don't want it. And I'll tell you something. The most devious part of these, these Laodiceans, these people that are like this, the most devious part is the same ones who say, I'll never follow man, they claim there's no elders in Scripture. You know, they must rip Ephesians 4 out of their Bible. But it's the same ones then 
they take the lead in their little kingdom of their home fellowship. So in one way, they're going to attack other real elders of Yahweh and say, this guy is trying to have a controlling spirit. Don't follow him. And they do the exact same thing. They're trying to pull people in. I've seen it ever since I left Church of God. It's the same spirit. I've seen it in home groups. We're the same person that said, oh, no, 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 no. We don't need any leaders. We don't need any elder. What does he do? He starts his home, own home group and says, I'm the leader. Just everybody knows that. If anything's going to go on, I'm the leader. It is a devious, evil spirit because Peter talks about this and these people that are claiming liberty, like he says, to them is only making them twice the sons of hell because there's no liberty in that. The person is only saying it because they don't want to be under any judicial order and then they want to get other people under them. So it really is very devious. But let's go now to 1 John 2 and verse 15. These people are very worldly, the Laodiceans. You know, it's, it's a very worldly type thing. They, they're not sanctified. They're not set apart. And they're of the world. Do not love the world, 1 John 2.15, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in its lust, but the one doing the will of Yahweh abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you heard that the Antimessiah is coming, even now many Antimessiahs have risen up, from which you know that it is a last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they were of us, they would have remained with us, but they left so that it might be revealed that they are not of us. Very simple. You know, and there's people that do that. There's people been in our congregation that have come with one thing in their mind, ordination power. And when they don't get it, they move on to somewhere else. Sometimes they, they, they wait years and then they get it and they still move on because they want to try to take some perceived power with them. It's just human nature. Human nature is people want power over other people. And the kingdom of Yahweh is he who wants to be greatest among you, let him be your servant. And, you know, I'll tell you something, and I say this from the bottom of my heart, and I'll take a lie detector test that it's true. But I've been all over the world. I've speak in many, many congregations as guest speakers. And Yahweh's people all over the world are wonderful. They're good people. They're wonderful people. But I have to say something. The people in the congregation of Yahweh Jerusalem are different. And people have told me so. Every single year at the feast, when people come and see our members, they say, wow, I've never seen a congregation like this where everyone's united. We all believe in the same doctrine. They're, they're subservient to the leadership. The leadership is, 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 is loving and caring for the people. And it's working. It's working because we all believe in it. It's working because the people respect it. And other people outside of it, they're amazed when they see it. But then they start hating it. I've had people that hate me because of that. Because they, they can't. Their mind is so perverted and so devilish that they could never see themselves ever submitting themselves under leadership ever. And yet they see how much it works when you do that. They see how much. Because it's not just, again, judicial order. It's voluntary and reciprocal. Nobody's forcing anybody in our congregation to do anything. And that's the great part, that people are doing it on their own because they're reading the same Bible that I'm reading. They're listening to the teachings. They're convicted. And I'm serving back to them as much as they're serving. It's not a one-way. That's the hierarchical is one way. You know, this is, no, this is, this is a, a two-way street. It's each serve each other. Husband, wives submit to your husband, but husband love the wife. You know, servants follow your master, but master be kind to your servant. That, that's the way judicial order works. And in the kingdom, there will be judicial order. And that's why to the Laodiceans, it's so serious because they're so blinded by that pride that most of them will never see it. Most of them will never see it, but it will be the difference of being in the kingdom or being out of the kingdom. And the Laodicean, for the most part, also is not sanctified. He has not sanctified his life, like you said, very much part of the world. But let's start wrapping up now and seeing what is the end of all this. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.13. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Because how, how do we become a Philadelphian? What, what is this all about now? Because that's the next message. What, where do we go from here? How do we become one of these other churches or congregations that we talked about into a Philadelphian? Second Thessalonians 2.13 says, 
But we ought to thank Yahweh always concerning you, brothers, beloved by Yahweh, because Yahweh chose you from the beginning to salvation and sanctification of the Spirit and through a true faith. So, yes, you need the faith to do it, or you'll always question. You'll have a spirit of doubt. But it's got to be through sanctification. Sanctification is the setting apart for a holy purpose. We have to sanctify our lives more. And when you look at the world out there today, you look, it's the most wicked, evil world mankind has ever known. That's what it tells us. The Bible tells us in the end time, it'll be the worst that the world has ever been. So if there was ever a time to sanctify our lives, now is the time to do it. And we can only achieve holiness if we sanctify ourselves. We can only become a Philadelphian if we sanctify ourselves. Revelation 21. Let's finish it up here. Revelation 21. And here, what is the end of the matter? Because each one of these congregations, except for Smyrna that I read today, is you have to repent and you have to get yourself back right with Yahweh. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer is. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from Elohim, having been prepared as a bride, having been adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of Yahweh is with men, and he will tabernacle with them, and they will be his people, and Yahweh himself will be with them as their Elohim. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will no longer, and there shall be no longer, and death shall be no longer, nor mourning, nor wailing, nor will there be pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And the one sitting on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he says to me, Write, because these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the ending. To the one thirsting, I will freely give the fountain of the water of life. The one overcoming will inherit all things, and I will be Elohim to him. And he will be the son to me. The one overcoming. So now, there's a message that was given here today to each of us. A message we have to take to heart. But it's not enough. What is repenting? Repenting means to turn away from it. We have to overcome whatever it is that the message tells us to. Let's continue. Let's go back to Revelation 2 now. Because every message, I didn't read the last verse or so of each message that I'm going to go through all now together at one time. Revelation 2, 7 to emphasis. The one who has an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the congregations. To the one overcoming, I will give to him to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of Elohim. Verse 11. And this is to Smyrna. The one who has an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the congregations. The one overcoming will not at all be hurt by the second death. Drop down to verse... 17, this is again speaking to Pergamos. The one who has an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the congregations. To the one overcoming, I will give him to eat from the hidden manna, and I will give to him a white stone, and on the stone a new name having been written, which no one knows except the one receiving it. Wow, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if one day Yeshua hands you this stone, and there's a name on that stone that he's naming you, and no one knows the name but you. What a blessing. Drop down to verse 26. And this is to Thyatira. And the one overcoming and the one keeping my words till the end, I will give to him authority over the nations. And he will be shepherd over them with an iron staff, like the vessels of the potter they shall be shattered, as I also have received from my Father. And I will give to him the morning star, talking about Yeshua, the one who has an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the congregations, the one that has an ear. I pray each person hearing this day has an ear, has eyes to see and ears to hear. The Laodicean, I know, won't. I know to the Laodicean, they hear messages like this and only gets them more angry because they're blind. They can't see it. But to the ones who can see, this is life. This is what we need now. Because, again, and I'm going to talk about this with the Philadelphian, all of us hopefully are on that road to being a Philadelphian. But none of us are there that yet. Nobody's a Philadelphian yet. Because the protection hasn't come. You know when you know you're a Philadelphian? When the time comes and the Philadelphians are going out and protected. And then if you're there, you're one. And if you're not, you still have more to overcome. And that's why now we have to focus on overcoming 
to become a Philadelphian. Some may be more in the walk than others, but none of us are there yet. None of us are there yet. Let's go now to Revelation 3, 5 and 6. This is just Sardis. The one overcoming, this one shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not at all blot out his name out of the book of life. And I will acknowledge his name before my father and before his cherubs. Wow! Can you imagine Yeshua acknowledging your name before the cherubs and Yahweh the Father? How awesome. The one who has an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the congregations. Verse 12 and 13. The one overcoming, I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my Elohim. He will not go out anymore. And I will write the name of my Elohim on him. And the name of the city of my Elohim, the new Jerusalem, which comes out of heaven from my Elohim and my new name. So even Yeshua's new name will be written on you. The one who has an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the congregations. And the last message to Laodicean, verse 22, 21-22. To the one overcoming, I will give to him to sit with me in my throne, as I also overcame and sat with my Father in his throne. The one who has an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the congregations. Well, did you read that? That even Yeshua overcame. You know, John 6.33, you know, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. John 16.33, wow. If Yeshua had to overcome, then what would make us think we don't have to overcome? We need to take this message serious, because like I said, this today is a message of Yeshua to you. And that's serious. And on one end, it's exciting that he has a message directly for us. But on another end, it's a little bit uh, scary and intimidating. Because each message says, either you have to overcome, or you're going to lose what you have. The same as the parable of the talents, right? Parable of the talents, what does it say? The ones who used it were given more. The ones who didn't use it, the little they had was taken away. So... Uh, what does it mean to be an overcomer? And when we get into the Philadelphian congregation, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what exactly do we have to do to overcome. But clearly it's the overcomers are the ones that are going to be there in the kingdom. Encouragement of each letter is for us to overcome. But we need and we must recognize what it is we need to overcome. So it's easy to say, yes, I know I have to overcome. But you have to look and there's something in one of these letters for each of us that we know exactly what it is to overcome. Because what good is it just to say overcome? Overcome what? I gave you what to overcome. And like I said, the message is for you. So don't think it's not. If we don't see any area of any letter that pertains to us, then most certainly you're a blinded Laodicean. Who due to pride and spiritual blindness cannot see their faults, let us come out of the world and overcome the things we need and to strive to be a Philadelphian believer, which we will discuss the next time. All of us have something to overcome, and it is the overcomers who are at the wedding supper and reign with Yeshua forever. So let's make sure that we are praying to Yahweh and asking Him to open up our minds. Remember what we said, He who has eyes to see and ears to hear. Pray to Him, ask Him to give you ears to hear that you know exactly what it is, that he wants you to overcome and then work on it because the time is short. We don't have a lot of time. We're moving toward the kingdom and it's the overcomers that will reign forever. Yahweh bless. Shabbat shalom.